Welcome to episode 179 of the G2 on 5G. It's for latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by Lauren Sykes and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sign. Let's jump into my first topic, and I want to talk about DISH, and could they be close to bankruptcy? And this is a subject that you and I, my friend, have talked about on podcasts in the past, but there was an article published by Fierce Wireless on the 6th that dives a little bit deeper into the possibility. And what really, I think, started this investigation was around a lot of the announcements that were coming out in January that indicated a reorganization of assets. And certainly that's not a determinant as to a bankruptcy proceeding, but it's, it's a hint that something could be in store. And there's no secret and we've talked about it, that DISH is pretty cash poor, and this whole merger with EchoStar was designed to strengthen and boost the company. I don't know if you caught the article this week, but what do you think? I did catch it, only because of you. Okay. Somehow I didn't see the whole thing about bankruptcy, but I delved a little more deeply into it. And there's actually a whole Wall Street Journal article about the fact that they scrapped their swap deal to push their debt maturity out. So- right. Fuels or sounds like they weren't able to secure that mechanism. And because that mechanism is no longer available to them, I think a lot of their debt is coming fairly soon. The, they're going to have to pay that debt somehow. Um, and if they can't, they have to file for bankruptcy. And I have a feeling that this story on January 30th may have been the one to put the uh, bankruptcy theory that if they can't much have this I think it was like $4 billion or something like that. Can't get that $4 billion out to 2030. Going to be due pretty soon. And that's not easy to pay when your business is struggling. And to your point, when you're cash poor. Yeah. And the other thing to mention as well is that they're under a deadline. They cover, have 75% coverage of the U.S. population uh, by mid-June of 2025. So um, the runway is fairly long for them. But it's, yeah, this is, this is quite interesting, sort of reading the tea leaves here. And it's something that you and I have speculated on. And we certainly don't want to take any joy in that happening because I'd like to see a very viable dish. I'd like to see them focus on some unique service delivery and, and that sort of thing to differentiate themselves from the other really large mobile network operators in the U.S. But it is interesting, something to definitely keep tabs on. But let's go to your first topic. And you want to talk about China Mobile. And their claim around launching its first 6G test satellite. Is that right? Am I reading that? Yes. China Daily, which is a, a Chinese government newspaper, they published a story that said that China Mobile is the world's largest telecom carried by mobile subscribers. Um, mm-hmm. And they have successfully launched their first satellite to test 6G architecture, mm-hmm. making a milestone in its efforts to explore integrated space and ground communication technology. It, they said that it was jointly developed with the Chinese Academy of Sciences Innovation Academy for microsatellites. They said that the system, utilizing domestic software and hardware, that is very clear statement, in-orbit software reconstruction, flexible deployment of core network functions, and automated management, enhancing the efficiency and reliability of the in-orbit operation of the satellite core network. They said that the, the orbit height is 500 kilometers, and that these experimental satellites, not singular, multiple, 
offer advantages such as low latency, high data transfer rates compared to with more high orbit satellites. So clearance is lower the orbit. And they go into more detail saying that they consider this to be a crucial platform for future integrated space and graphic connections of LEO satellites and that out China Mobile plans to conduct more in-orbit experiments based on these test satellites. Um, but they didn't say what spectrum or why it's 6G. Yeah. Um, they say it's a 6G test satellite hosts a distributed autonomous architecture for 6G. Uh, all I know is that this is a Chinese known government publication quoting China Mobile and yeah. talking 6G, but there really isn't much meat here in terms of actual no. 6G. So I picked this because it was like a, a dig at, at this attempt to, to claim leadership because realistically, we, there's no 6G standard. We have no idea what's going to no. be. Six, no. Yeah, I'd love to hear your, your take. Yeah, no. The first thought that I had was, hey, 3GPP hasn't even published standards. So how China can make this sort of claim is interesting or how China Mobile can make this claim is interesting. And I think you've mentioned um, this type of satellite as far as its distance and in orbit, and it's considerably um, shorter distance than even conventional low Earth orbit satellites. Yeah, this is uh, 500 kilometers. Yeah, it's not even, is that the stratosphere? I'm not an aeronautics expert, but yeah, it's just so that's interesting. The much lower orbit, number one, and number two, the fact that uh, 3GCB has published any 6G standards. And, and we all know what was going on while when 5G began to get its uh, legs. And all the way back to 2017, 2018, and there were a lot of bold claims by China. And, and we've reported some of these claims as well as deploying the most 5G base stations and, and that sort of thing. And so it just, it sounds to me like it's, it, they're, they're beating their chest, but there isn't a lot of substance behind it. Yeah. By the way, That's I was just going to I was just gonna add, NASA defines LEO as anything under 2000 kilometers. Oh, okay. All right. So it's within the envelope. Interesting. I learned something new from you. That's awesome. Hey, let's go to my second topic. I want to talk about Rocketon Symphony. And we've talked about the company on prior podcasts and their attempt to take their learnings and deploying highly disaggregated network infrastructure to support LTE and 5G and then spin that into a business to help other mobile network operators uh, do the same. And as we've reported in the past, they've stumbled. There's been a lot of management changes and shuffles. There was actually, an, it was another Sears Wireless article that I caught this week, and it talks about an, an, a, an executive that's coming back to the company, and his name is Raul Atri, and he's leading the OSS business unit, which is the operational software service layer, which is responsible for OSS and BSS, not to get too techy, but it, it manages the automation and orchestration that's needed um, in really any network. And, but he's coming back. He's focused on that business unit, but it seems like his remote's a little bit broader because in this article, he talks about the power of AI, no surprise. And what uniquely positions Rocketon is that they had the foresight to put everything in one huge data lake. And so that could potentially give them an advantage in deploying AI workloads and doing some really interesting things from a telecommunications perspective. And I've talked about in the past how companies like AT&T are working with NVIDIA 
and deploying AI for more intelligent truck roles. And, and certainly AI can do a lot of things from a self-healing perspective to ensure the right levels of quality of service and, and that sort of thing. But I thought it was interesting. There's a lot of whitewashing going on with AI. And it seems like Rakuten may be trying to lean into that uh, to bring some luster back to what they're doing and actually grow their footprint with that business. So don't know if you caught the article, but any thoughts? I didn't catch the article, but I did see his him joining the company. It's not completely out of the mix, but yeah, I do think that they do some kind of spark maybe to AIs, maybe AIs are opportunity. It just, it seems, I don't want to call it lazy, but everyone's pointing to AI and generative AI and what it's going to do to, to transform digital experiences and that sort of thing. But it'll be interesting. Again, there's, he was with the company before, went to Tuck Mahendra for two years, I believe, and now he is back. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Certainly there are other companies that are trying to do this. We've spoken about NTT and Orex and what they're doing with OpenRAN to enable that ecosystem. And again, they're another example of a mobile network operator that's trying to provide blueprints and solutions to ease this whole notion of deploying disaggregated infrastructure. But let's go to your second topic. And you want to talk about Verizon and speaking of Verizon a claim that they have made around their radio access network infrastructure. Yes. Basically, they're saying that they have 130,000 ORAN-capable radios, which include massive MIMO radios as part of their previously announced 15,000 compliant virtualized cell sets with ORAN-compliant baseband units. And they're really pushing hard on ORAN. I think this is maybe a response to AT&T's announcement. That it is. But you bet it is. But I think in general, this is a good thing for the industry. And yeah, I just think that positive development, they've been working on VRAN and they this evolution as they moved from VRAN to ORAN and makes sense to me. I, I've seen this evolution, but it's, it's good to see Verizon is, is on this train as well. And from my perspective, some of the motivation behind this may be the federal government. Verizon does quite a bit of business with the federal government, as does AT&T. And actually when... Uh, the the news broke around the AT&T and Ericsson deal. I had a chance to to speak with executives and, and, and I asked the questions, is there, with Egali Baz, I asked him straight up, is there any motivation to do this to comply with federal government? And hey, the whole notion around ORAN is an attempt to domesticate the 5G supply chain when you look at the radio access network, part of the infrastructure here. Yeah, I think it's a great thing. ORAN does promise to bring certain CapEx and, and OpEx benefits. Agility, I think the biggest dev, I think the biggest uh, impact of ORAN is just the flexibility for mobile network operators to deploy infrastructure quickly and provide new service delivery much more quickly as well. All right, with that, let's head to my third and final topic. I want to talk about Ericsson and Qualcomm working with mobile network operator Elisa to demo some pretty blazingly fast uplink speed than 5G standalone. This involves a Qualcomm Snapdragon X75 5G modem RF system, which I'm sure you're very intimately familiar with because you talk about Qualcomm quite a bit on these podcasts, my friend. But in trial, all three partners achieved, this is a pretty incredible upload speed, 230 megabits per second in a live 5G network. Now this leveraged uplink carrier aggregation and specifically, the companies combined 25 megahertz, 2.6 gigahertz block with a 100 megahertz, 3.5 gigahertz block running on a mobile test device powered by a Snapdragon, again, X75 5G modem. 
that's pretty incredible, man, from an uplink perspective. Yeah. What was that? What was the throughput? What is the throughput? Why can't I find the throughput in this article that was posted to RCR Wireless? That's a good question. I may have to come back to you on that. Because I always like to know what, what, the, what that full aggregation enables. Yeah. I was just impressed with, with that uplink speed, but yeah, I, I'm looking for it in the article. It's not jumping out at me right now, but. Yeah, 230 megabits isn't bad. Yeah. Yeah. Usually else can start on milk was, that was a combination of what? Which bands again? 2.6? Um, 2.6 and 3.5. Okay. So it's mostly mid band. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. Yeah. It's still pretty good. There was mention of. Another trial that Elisa did in 2022 with Nokia and Qualcomm, where they got uplink, they got to uplink speeds of 2.1 gigabits per second, but that, that obviously was millimeter wave, but yeah, they asked for, yeah, for mid-band spectrum, that's decent, man. Funny because it's about a 10 in terms of speed. Yeah. But anyway, any final thoughts there before we move on to your third and final? No, Elisa is definitely one of the... Uh, partners for Ericsson and Qualcomm for a lot of these cutting edge network. I think they've also done some downlink millimeter wave stuff. There's not that many operators in Europe using millimeter waves. They're probably one of the few out there that's actually able to have it out in a commercial network. And in this case, it's mid-band upload. But yeah, I would kill for 230 megabits. Yeah, I definitely would here in my home. But, but not quite there. I'm still in the country and hopefully fiber is going to come to Bastrop one of these days. But Hey, man, let's move to your third and final topic. And you want to talk about, there's some concern, I, I think, that's been raised by other mobile network operators around uh, T-Mobile's additional purchase of some 2.5 gigahertz spectrum. Yeah, so this is a ongoing story. Um, yeah. The spectrum auction occurred in 2022. Um, and, and there were a lot of things that prevented the spectrum from being released to T-Mobile. They were... Mm-hmm. the they bid 90% of the spectrum that was available. So there, was, there weren't really operators who competed with them for the spectrum. So they got it probably fairly, cheap, fairly cheaply. Yeah. But because FCC lost their authorization to release a spectrum due to a dysfunctional government, they weren't able to release a spectrum. And uh, there had to be a separate act passed through Congress called the SAIL Act known as the 5G Spectrum Authority Licensing Enforcement Act, uh, oh. which was, and that was to require the FCC to issue that Auction 108 Spectrum license by March 2024. So they have about a month to release this spectrum. But in the meantime, someone like AT&T has raised concerns that there are excessive levels of spectrum concentration. And they said that in two of Hawaii's five counties, T-Mobile would ha- hold almost half of all spectrum suitable and available for the provision of mobile telephony and broadband services in Honolulu County, and T-Mobile would hold more than half. I think this is an interesting situation because T-Mobile bid for this. AT&T yeah. could have bid for it. They chose yeah. not to. They didn't have any interest in the spectrum. And they honestly, the problem I think is, I think there is some valid concerns with T-Mobile necessarily having too much spectrum and maybe being overly positioned. But if AT&T was serious about the spectrum, they would have bid on it and they did it. So, yeah. and, and the reason why they didn't bid on it, because they were never interested in it. 
because T-Mobile already owns the vast majority of 2.5 gigahertz. So it's not in their best interest to buy it because they're not going to really be able to deploy it nationwide. Doesn't make sense for them. This is something that should have been addressed a long time ago, wasn't. And at this point, they see it as a competitive disadvantage. So they're just trying to block T-Mobile from getting it. And now the FCC says they're going to review this trim release. I don't even know if they have the authority to review it. Yeah. The, if Congress has explicitly stated that the spectrum has to be released because the auction closed two years ago. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And that's not a trivial amount of money to park for a year and a half plus, right? Yeah. The truth is it was a $300 million auction. And yeah, I just think that there's this. The problem with this is a lot of this spectrum is going to actually help to build out T-Mobile's network for rural areas. Um, a lot of the spectrum isn't in that populated of areas. And that's why this was a secondary 2.5 gigahertz option. I think this yeah. is a good auction for T-Mobile. They should have this spectrum. AT&T doesn't like it. It's way too late to complain about it. And yeah. it's not like they're going to go and deploy these licenses themselves. And they didn't bid on it. And that's the thing is, I don't understand if they bid in one licenses it, and they felt like right. they didn't enough yeah. licenses or something. But they weren't participating in it. So it's just, I don't know. I don't feel bad. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. But it's also interesting that the FCC is going to review the release. Jeez, crazy more. Well, hey, my friend. But I'm not really sure they can block it. Yeah, exactly. So what's the point of reviewing? It's interesting. Yeah, we could go on and on about the federal government. (laughs) But with that, it's been another great podcast. We had a few little technical glitches here, but uh, why don't you take us home? We hope our viewers and listeners found this topic interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific Trek 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will's at Wilcontact. I'm at Arshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next. And don't forget to rate and subscribe.